Now, Pastor Jim, he did ask me to, to share this weekend, and I'm very honored to do it. It's not something I ever take for granted. Listen, we are, we are so well taught here at Joy Church. I believe with all my heart, and this is through much observation and many decades, uh, I believe we have one of the very best teaching pastors in the entire country here at Joy Church. And that is something that, that we should never take for granted or overlook. You know, we have such an opportunity to learn and to grow here. And the thing I love about Pastor Jim's teaching is it's not just word, good word teaching, but it's practical application teaching because I want to know how to live out my Christian. I don't want to just learn a bunch of information. I want to know how to live as a Christian on Tuesday. I want to know how to behave when I'm at the traffic light and the guy in front of me won't go. You know, I, I want to I live out my Christianity in a very practical daily way. And so I love the way that Pastor Jim teaches us here and it helps us tremendously. So today I'm not gonna try to impress you with what I know, I'm gonna share some things with you that I believe will help you and will encourage you today. So let's pray together and then we'll jump into it. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. It is an honor, it's a privilege to get up here and share to, to, to the best church congregation on the planet. And I'm so honored to be a part of this family and this team. And so, Father, I thank you as I open my mouth wide today that you would give me the words to speak, that you would give me a word in season for every person who is in here. I thank you that you've, you've gathered your people together today. I thank you that you caused them to hear from heaven. And I thank you today as we receive and hear from your word that every one of us walks away with something that will help our lives improve for the better as we're hearers and doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about don't belittle the little. Never underestimate the power of small. You know, a lot of times small things get overlooked, but we're going to talk about how important the small is here today. Let's look at John chapter 6. Let's look at a few verses here together. Here is uh, 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 talking about Jesus. It said, Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Listen, they've got this giant multitude of people and they're hungry and they have a need. They're being presented with a challenge, with a problem. And he lays it out to Philip. And Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Now, how many of you have ever noticed that Philip didn't answer Jesus' question? Philip responded with what he was confronted with. How many of you know that many times when we're presented with a problem, our response or the level of our panic that we respond to that problem uh, with is in direct proportion to the perceived size of the answer we have for that problem? Does that make sense? I mean, think about it in your own life. Say you, you had a, a giant financial need that was presented to you, but you had a giant pile of money in the bank. So how intimidated are you by that financial need? Well, not much because we got it covered, right? The answer is bigger than the problem, at least in my perception, so we're good to go. But what do I do if this giant need is presented and I look and I don't see what to me looks to be enough I respond accordingly. And that's what Philip did here. He didn't even answer Jesus' question. Jesus said, where are we going to buy bread? And he said, it doesn't matter how much bread you buy, it's not going to be enough. But then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here 
who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, Andrew, he's, he, he's, he's kind of catching on. He's going, wait, we, we do have something. But look at how he finishes. But what are they among so many? See, even Andrew, who saw the answer that Jesus was looking for, he didn't perceive it as the answer. Why? Because it was too small. It was little. But how many of you know Jesus never asked them for what they didn't have? Jesus never asked them how big the problem was. Jesus never asked them how big the need was. Jesus simply said, what are we going to use to meet this need? Jesus said, what, what do you have? And in our lives as Christians and believers, that's what Jesus asked for from us. He doesn't ask from you what you don't have. He asks from you what you do have. And if to Jesus, the small that you have is enough, we need to change our thinking and shift that around a little bit. When I was in college, I went through a real uh, important season of growth in my Christian walk. And it happened when I was, <laughs> I, was, I was fired up for the Lord. I was excited about the things of God. I mean, I was digging into the Bible every day. I was growing in my walk with God. I was all in. I was committed. I was ready to go to the next level with God. And I remember I was out in my car one day, and I was just driving around worshiping God, and I was flying. I, you know, at that time, I, I was a, an extremely rapid driver, right? And I, would, I, I was able to get places much more quickly than most others, right? And so I was just flying out in my car, and I was, I was, I was praying, I was worshiping, I was having just a great time with the Lord, and I, I got all excited, and, 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 and I, just, I just called out to God in my car. I said, God, you just tell me what to do. Tell me what you want me to do. I, I'll, I'll do anything for you. You just let me know. What do you want me to do? You want me to go to China? You want me, you know, you tell me, what, what, is, what do you want me to do? And I'm going to do it because, you know, I was ready. I was, I was looking for, for, for God to go, well, I want you to be a prophet to the nations. Or I, I want you to be the next Billy Graham. Or I, or I want you to do this great and mighty thing over here. And so I'm ready. I'm, I'm geared up. I, I'm, okay, God, this is it, man. Let's do this. And I'm telling you, the Lord spoke as clear as could be to my spirit. Here's what he said. Two words. Stop speeding. <laughs> and I'm not joking. I thought he was joking. I knew it was the Lord. I honestly thought he was kidding with me. And I was like, oh, come on, God. You know, I'm serious now. Come on now. I'm serious. Well, what do you want me to do? I'll just tell me what you want me to do. I'll do it. Stop speeding. And I, got, I started this argument now with God, right? Because I'm like, God, you don't understand. I'm not talking about something little like that. I'm talking about what, what big thing do you want me to do? Stop speeding. Well, I reached a point where I wasn't getting on board with the instruction. And I know that, you know, Jesus promises he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But up to that point, I'd been having this wonderful fellowship time of experience with the Lord in my car and it was almost like the presence of the Lord just went out of the car and I was left there all by myself. No, I wasn't, but that's what it felt like. And I realized I can't do anything more right now with God until I cooperate. So I slowed down and as soon as I hit the speed limit, it was like the presence of the Lord just came back into the car and then we went back to having fun and worshiping and praying and I forgot all about it, right? So the next day, I get in my car and I'm zipping wherever it was that I was going and I, I began to pray. And right as I started to pray, I heard these words as clear as day in my spirit. Stop speeding. That was the moment it hit me that I was in trouble. 
because God was not going to let me get away with not changing something that he wanted me to change in my life. Now, it was entirely up to me and up to my will to do it. But see, I had asked God for something that in my mind I wanted something big. And to God, this was big. But it looked so small to me. Does that make sense? Check out this life point. Everybody wants to accomplish something big, but big comes from a whole lot of smalls put together. And that's what we have to understand. You know, that is it's so true. If you look at Ephesians, you know, Ephesians 2.10, it talks about we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we'll read a verse like that, and it's an exciting, encouraging verse. And we're like, oh, man, God's created me for something awesome. And it's true. God's created me for these, these big works that he's, he's prepared for me to do. Well, that's not what it says. It doesn't says, say he's created you for big works. It says he's created you for good works. And what we have to understand sometimes is it takes a lot of little good works many times before we get to the big good works. And we have to get our feet wet in the little good works. Okay? So... What am I saying? I'm saying much of our Christian growth is a result of planting seeds. And seeds don't look very big when you first plant them. But to God, when he looks at an acorn, he doesn't see this little tiny acorn. He sees this gigantic oak tree with all of its potential wrapped up in this seed. But guess what has to happen before the seed is, or between the seed planting and the giant oak tree? Time growth, patience, waiting. And that's not always the part we like, but that's the part many times that we have to travel through to get from what we perceive to be small to the great thing that it actually is and the big thing that it actually is. So let's take a look at four small seeds that produce a huge harvest. And we're going to spend most of our time on the first seed because it's so important. Seeds of character produce a huge harvest. Now, first we have to obtain good character. And see, that's what God was trying to do in me. I, I had a lot of things that I wanted to do for the Lord, and I was excited for God. But there were a lot of things in me that God needed to get squeezed out of me. And he started with stop speeding, okay? Because he was trying to reset my thinking in some ways. Let's take a look at a verse together. Proverbs 10, verse 9. says, He who walks... With integrity, walks securely. But he who perverts his way will become known. How many of you know when you walk, it, 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 it consists of a number of different steps? Have you ever noticed that? Anybody ever successfully walked without taking steps? Okay. And the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Check out this life point. Our character is established, guess what? One step at a time. Your character is established not through an event. You don't one day wake up and now you're a person of character. Your character is developed over time on a path, taking steps, and you got to walk it out. You ever, you ever hear people, uh, um, and I, I've probably said this in the past, but you ever hear people uh, make this statement? They go, you need to just take a leap of faith, right? You ever said, you've probably said that in here. Um, we just need to take a leap of faith. You got you got You got to just jump in. You got You got to take, take, you know, take a leap. Well, I know what you mean by that, but I cannot find a single scripture in the Bible 
where God ever tells me to jump into something. You know, when we leap, many times that's an act of desperation. But when we take steps, they're steps that are born out of, 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 of confident trust in the Lord. Now, I'm not saying steps are easy. Sometimes those steps take us, point us in a different direction that God wants us to take that maybe we're not comfortable with taking. So not all steps are comfortable, but steps are on a path that God wants to lead us down. Right? God's word is a, is a lamp. That's right. God's word is what? It's a, it's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our what? On our path. We don't leap our way down a path. We walk down it. We take steps down it. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your leaps, right? No, he'll direct your path. He'll guide you down the path one step at a time, and your character growth takes place one step at a time. So let's look at what character consists of. What, what, what's the makeup of character? Number one, character is just simply doing the right thing. Now, that's real easy to say, and that's real easy to do when we want to. But how many of you know character really is revealed when we have to do the right things that we don't want to do? And from time to time, we're presented with things that we just don't really want to do, but we know that it's the right thing to do. That's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to your character. You know, because by making the right decision here, it might alienate somebody around me. Maybe my friends uh, won't think I'm as cool because I did the right thing here. Maybe the right thing here isn't the politically correct thing of the day. And if I do it, it might create some, 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 some conflict potentially at work or in my family or among my friends and neighbors. Does that change what we should do? Not at all. Because character doesn't have gray areas in it. Right? And character understands, look, we just need to do the right thing. Well, Pastor Dave, I, 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 I spent the entire morning today doing the wrong thing over and over and over and over again. I spent the last 20 years doing the wrong thing. Well, guess what? The good news is... You're not in the last 20 years right now. we got to go from here. So what do we do? We make the next right decision. Right? That's all you can do. One step of character at a time. Well, you know, I've had a, you know, maybe you've had a questionable character over the years. You know, well, you know, I'm, uh, you know uh, I, 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 I lie when the pressure comes on. I cheat when the pressure comes on. I, I, I do whatever when the pressure comes on. Well, listen, you can change that now. How? Make the next right decision. Make the next right choice. Here's the second characteristic of character. Character is who you are in the dark. Everybody can be uh, uh, um, pleasant and enjoyable and godly, you know, in, among your church family for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. But what happens on Wednesday night at two in the morning when you're all by yourself at home? Right? What do we do then? Are we two different people? Are we who we are in public and we're someone entirely different in private. Are we who we are outwardly, but internally and, and in the processing of our minds and thoughts, we, we go down paths we should never go down, right? So well, what do I do? Well, I make the next right decision, right? And then the third characteristic of character is character simply embraces all of the fruit of the Spirit. And let's look at this. Let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control, and against such 
There is no law. Now, when you're a born-again believer, and most of you in here are born-again believers, you've invited Jesus in your heart. You've made him Lord of your life. Jesus has come and lives on the inside of you. And with that, through his spirit, he brings the fruit of the spirit. But guess what? We now have a responsibility as a believer to cultivate and practice and put into application all that fruit that we have the potential to walk in down on the inside of us. And that development of character is the process by which we take all of these different fruit of the Spirit and begin to cause them to work outwardly in our lives and not just inwardly. See, I thought God was done with me and the lesson he was teaching me when he made me quit speeding back in college, but he was just getting started. And I didn't like it because now he starts picking on other areas of my life, right? Very soon after that, I was getting ready to go to a football game. I went to North Carolina State. My wife went to Carolina. We had friends at Duke and Wake Forest and various other colleges. And so a common practice among all college students at the time and probably to this day was when you went to watch games at each other's schools, you'd use each other's student IDs to get into the game so you didn't have to pay a whole lot for the tickets, right? I mean, after all, you're a student. This is your game. It just happens to be an away game today, but it's a home game at Carolina. And so we might as well go and be, you know, so-and-so's roommate that day because that's just the way it's done. I mean, everybody does it, right? Can't be too bad because everybody does it. But see, at some point we have to decide whether we want to be an everybody or whether we want to be a somebody. And somebodies don't do what everybody does. Somebodies do what's right. And sometimes doing what's right isn't fun. And so I was getting ready to go to a game. I was all geared up, had my ticket, had my ID, was heading off, I think, to Duke to a, a, a old football game, I think. And so, you know, ready to go. The morning of the game, the Lord starts talking to me about this. And I didn't like what he had to say. Because he's talking to my heart and he's going, you can't do this. And I'm like, but, but, but come on, it's not so bad. How many of you know when you, when you try to argue with God and convince God that something he's telling you no to is not so bad, you're rarely going to win that argument <laughs> if you're honest with God and honest with yourself. And so I'm having this whole interchange with the Lord. And I'm like, come on, man, let me go to the game. And, but he's like, no, no, we're, 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 you, you asked for this first of all, in your car a few days ago, and so it's your fault. But second of all, do you really want to grow? Do you really want to go and do and be what I want you to grow and do and be? And I was like, okay. And it was a hard conversation I had with my friends that morning saying, I can't go to the game, guys. Because what's the backlash? The backlash is, well, who are you better than us? Well, what, what makes you, you know, don't tell me this is wrong. Everybody does it. You know, who are you, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes? I wasn't any of those things. I was as mad as they were that I couldn't go. But I'm having to walk this out. And see, the, 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 the process of gaining and obtaining character, it's, it's a refining process. And, and let's look at some scriptures together. Toss those up there if you would, Tori. Look at Psalm 66. It says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. It's a refining process. Look at, uh, at uh, Psalm 12, verse 6. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver, tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now, what's that talking about? It's talking about the process of refining and purifying 
silver. If you're a silversmith back in the day, you understand that in this raw mass of silver that you have, there's a bunch of crud in there and impurities and junk that needs to come out. So how do I get it out? Well, I get it out in stages. It doesn't come out all at once. You don't have insta-character. You don't have insta-purity, right? You can't buy this online, you know, from, you know, some new novel thing they found in Norway, you know, that if you pay enough for it, it'll, you never have to, uh, you know. It, it's like the, the wonder diet that it doesn't matter what you eat or, or what you drink or how much you eat or never exercise, you know, you're going you're gonna to look like, you know, this model, you know, that they put up on the pictures. It doesn't work, right? It requires some involvement and some commitment. And so when, if you want pure silver, if you want silver that's useful, right? What's he talking about? He's talking about it's purified seven times. So what's that process? They'll take the silver, they'll put, it, put some heat to it, they'll melt it, and then the impurities will rise to the top. What's that called? That's called the dross. That, that's, the, that's the crud that, that you need to get out of there. So what does the silversmith do? He skims that crud off the top, and then that silver looks awesome. But the silver's not awesome yet because there's still a bunch more crud in it that you can't see. So what does he do? He heats it up a little bit more, and that little bit more heat causes more of the impurities to rise to the top, and he skims it off. And it goes through process after process, and each one of these steps clears out different types of impurities and different degrees of impurities. And you may not be skimming off as much as you did in the first round, but you're still getting rid of crud. And by the seventh time around, he's got something useful to work with. And you understand that's the process God will go through with us if we'll be willing to get on board with it for him to develop our character. It's a step at a time. It's a, and, and the heat gets a little hotter each time. So it's not always pleasant to our flesh. It's not always fun to go through. And just when you thought you were done, all of a sudden, here comes another round. It's like, oh, come on, man. We already did seven. Well, no, you get eight. And you're going to need nine and ten, so just get, get ready. Let's look at a couple more verses. It says, Proverbs 25, 4, Take away the dross from the silver, and look, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Now, this is not just a bunch of silver. This is something that's becoming useful. This is something that can be used for a great and higher purpose, right? Look at this from 2 Timothy 2. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he's talking about, you know, wood, wood and stubble, you know, this, this burned up when it's tested. He's saying, cleanse yourself from the crud. It says, if you'll cleanse yourself from that, you'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Look at that. When, 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 we, when we allow ourselves to go through that process, when we get rid of that dross, what happens? Now we're a vessel for honor. Now we're sanctified. We're set apart for God's use. We're, we're useful for God. We're prepared for good work. Remember, we talked about Ephesians 2.10, that God's prepared good works for us to do. Now we're prepared through his word and through the refining process from his word. Now we're prepared to do those good works. Okay? So what we gain... Now, then we have to maintain, and that's the next part of this. We've got to maintain good character, not just gain good character. Um, you ever hear, hear of the, the people talk about the power grid? 
You know, in our country, you gotta, we got to keep a watch on the power grid because, after all, uh, you, know, you know, a cyber attack could take it out or, or a hurricane could, could, could shut it down or, or, you know, who knows what other, you know, uh, uh, terrorist attack could come at it. So they, they were talking to a, a high-level official one time about what's the biggest risk to our power grid, and you would expect one of those kind of answers to be the answer. And look what he answered here. Here's the biggest risk to the power grid. Frankly... The number one threat experienced to date by the U.S. electric grid is squirrels. <laughs> squirrels is the gray, are the greatest threat to the U.S. power grid. Why? Because they sneak in there and they chew at the wires and the cables and they make a mess. All right? Now, what's the point? The point is many times when you've developed and grown your character, you've got to understand you've got to maintain it. You can't just assume it'll stay nice and pristine got to keep working at it. And it's the little things that sneak in and can cause a problem. Right? Song of Solomon 2.15 says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Look at this verse um, from over in Ecclesiastes 10. Look at this. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. How many of you, that's your favorite verse? Your favorite memory verse? That's in your promise box. You pull it out every morning. You put it on your, it's on your, on your window and in your mirror in your bathroom. You quote it every day. But what is it leading to? It says this. It says, so does a little folly or a little foolishness to one respected for wisdom and honor. See, it doesn't take much to create a mess, right? And you can have a beautiful thing of perfume, but you throw some dead flies into it, and guess what? The whole batch is affected by it. And we can develop and may, uh, obtain good character, but we have to maintain that good character because your last impression is your lasting impression, right? So here's our second one, our second seed that we need to sow. We sow seeds of character. We want to sow seeds of faithfulness. And we don't have time to go to Luke 16, 10 through 12, but if you go and you read through those verses, you'll find out it starts with, he who's faithful in little will be faithful in much. And it continues on, and it's talking about really three different levels of faithfulness. If you'll toss those up, you have personal faithfulness, you have financial faithfulness, and you have ministerial faithfulness. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, look, your faithfulness is tested in the smalls. And what you do in the smalls are what I can trust you with in the bigs. See, there's a learning ground. There, there, there's a proving ground when it comes to faithfulness. And you've got to be faithful in the little instead of waiting around for the big opportunity. Big opportunities aren't going to come if you're not faithful with the little that's there in, in, in your hands. Or if a big opportunity does come, you're just going to mess it up because your unfaithfulness will be magnified in the big because you were never faithful in the little. Does that make sense? And so go allow yourself to go through that training process. I, I remember back in the early days of World Changers Bible Institute, <clears throat> we were in Charlotte, and this was a long time ago, 30 years ago. And uh, uh, I, was at the, I was at the school uh, one night, it was late, Pastor Jim was just getting ready to leave. And as he was walking out, he said, hey, make sure, you know, I was locking up, he said, make sure that you close that door um, you know, when you leave, you know, and because there was this one door that separated off a different section of the building and, and it took more heat and air to, you know, to, to take care of both sides of the building. So it was just a stewardship thing, which was wise. And so I, I remember I laid down to bed that night. You ever had this happen? You, you're, you're in the comfort of your home and your jammies all, 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 all ready to sleep and you lay down and lay your head on the pillow and then all of a sudden, ping! Your eyes pop open, 
And you realize, oh my gosh, I forgot something. And I had forgotten to shut that door. Now, if I had called Pastor Jim on the phone right then and there, first I would have woken him up, which wouldn't have been good. But second, I would have said, hey, Pastor Jim, I'm so sorry, I forgot to close the door. Do you want me to go all the way back up to the school and close the door? He would have gone, of course not, but please remember to close the door next time, right? Because it wasn't a big thing, but to me, guess what? It was a big thing because it was a reflection of my faithfulness that I had not followed through on that I needed to. So I got up out of bed, put my clothes on, drove all the way out to the school, it was probably 20 minutes away, and I shut the door, came back home. Now, was that necessary? It was necessary to me because it was a seed of faithfulness that mattered to me. And that little thing led to bigger opportunities because I was faithful in that little thing. Listen, you guys, this room is full of people. And right now, in other parts of our building, it's full of people that are being faithful in the smalls. There's people back there changing diapers on your babies right now. So you can be in here serving the Lord. I was was sharing about Eric Hoffman, who was here with us yesterday, who heads up our Joy to Mow team outside. Many of you wonderful people, men and women, help out with keeping our grounds wonderful. I drove in yesterday, and I was just admiring how beautiful the grounds were and the grass and how nicely it was mowed. That's all done by volunteers. And these volunteers, these volunteers, you don't see them during the week when they're out here for hours on the mower or with the weed eater and the blowers taking care of everything to make your campus look great. But what are they doing? They're sowing seeds of faithfulness and it's producing a harvest of change. Okay? So let's sow good seeds of faithfulness. And then here's our third seed. We want to sow seeds of obedience, seeds of obedience. And look at these two verses. These are good verses. Uh, John 14, verse 15. In both cases, these are Jesus speaking. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 15, 14, he says, you are my friends if. How many of you know if means you're not if not? Right? So in other words, the, the first is the, or the second is the qualifier of a first. If you're my friends... Here's what you'll do, right? So you're my friends if, what? You do whatever I command you. Well, here's Jesus. He's saying, he's saying, keep my commandments. He's saying, do whatever I command you. Come on, he's kind of bossy, isn't he? Well, have you ever thought, maybe just give this a a thought. The word Lord should mean something in our lives. And if he is Lord Jesus, if he happens to be God, and I'm not, well, he pretty much should be calling the shot, shouldn't he? That shouldn't come as, that shouldn't come as something uh, uh, surprising. But see, the problem is in our culture, so many of us, we, we look at God as, the, as the, the doer of what we want him to do, right? And we go to God and we go, okay, God, here's what I want from you today. I want you to do this and give me that and fix that and heal this. And, and he, he loves to do all these things. But that shouldn't be the way we should approach the Lord. We should approach the Lord from the frame of reference of, oh, God, how awesome it is that I'm even allowed to come into your presence because of what Jesus did for me. And thank you for taking the time to be with me today. And is there anything I can do for you? What would you like me to do today, Lord? And guess what? He might tell you. But... He also wants us to follow through. It's not just about talk. It's about let's do that thing. Look at this life point. Many times we're waiting 
for God to give us our next instruction, but God is waiting for us to follow his last instruction. And we need to understand where we are in that process. Now, why is that important? That's important because many times, now here's a question that I would encourage everyone in here to ask yourselves. When's the last time I heard any guidance or direction specifically from the Lord? And if it's been a while, you might want to go back and check and make sure you did the last one he gave you. Because many times we're sitting around waiting on God and God's sitting around waiting on us. And we need to do our part of obedience to God's plan and what he's called us to do. It's, it's an important thing. Okay? So let's talk about three outcomes of obedience. Here, here's some examples. Remember the little boy's lunch? We already looked at that. Fed the multitude. This little kid, how many of you know that kid was hungry along with the rest of the crowd? And he was the only one smart enough to bring lunch with him. But yet he was willing to give it up to the Lord so the Lord could feed the multitude with it. You remember the widow's mites? You remember Jesus was outside the treasury one time with his disciples and he was watching people put in the offerings and all the rich people came along and put in big old offerings and, and then this one widow came with two tiny coins and put them in the offering. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, this woman gave more than anybody else. That is one person I look forward to meeting when I get to heaven, that widow, because I want to hear the rest of the story. Because I guarantee you there is a rest of the story. I, I want to go to her and I want to say, okay, what happened then? What happened next? Tell me about your life after that. And it's going to be a remarkable joy story is what it's going to be. Why? Because she's been willing to, 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 to do the small act of obedience because it was so very important. Remember the woman who fed Elijah? She still ministers today. Let's take a look at this story. I love this story. Jump with me to 1 Kings 17. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there, and see, look, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, what, what tense is have commanded? Past tense, right? Go back to sixth grade English. This is past tense, right? So what does that mean? That means God's already done this. He's already spoken to the widow, right? He's talking to Elijah after he talked to the widow, right? So he said, I've commanded a woman there to provide for you. So he arose, he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now, she didn't have poisoned flour. She just didn't have enough. And it was a time of great famine and drought. And in that moment, you know, it had been almost three years since there had been any rain in the land. And there was hardship around. And this woman had run out of resources and so here she was looking at her lack and she went, gosh, all I got is enough to feed me and my kid one last final meal and then we're done for. We're dead. We're over. And look what happened next. Elijah said to her, don't fear. Go and do as you've said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. Oh my gosh, what kind of greedy preacher is this? Here, you got this woman who is almost dead, 
She's got a kid she's trying to keep alive. And here you come in and try to take her very last little bit of food. What horrible person are you? That's what most of us think. But that's not at all what's going on. What, what's happened? You don't forget the first part of this story. God had already talked to this woman about providing for the prophet. But yet the woman who looked at God's request, looked at her supply, she, she rejected it. She couldn't accept that her little was enough. She, all she saw was the small. And so she looked at the small and she goes, we're all going to die. Let the prophet fend for himself. He'll probably die too. But I know me and my kid are going to die. But he said, no, no, go do it. Bring it to me and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And the rest of the story is she did finally obey the Lord, not the prophet, the Lord. See, the prophet wasn't trying to get her to do something. The prophet was trying to point her back to what God had already told her to do. And if she'll just be obedient to what God's asked her to do, guess what? That small now becomes more than enough. And it was not just more than enough for her and her kid, but it was more than enough for her and her kid and the prophet. And so don't, uh, let me help you out. Let's go by God's measurement system, not our measurement system. Because when we look at something and it appears small to us, we need to understand God's perspective on it is completely different. And so your smalls aren't really smalls. They just seem small until you get to what seems big to you. Okay? Now, here's the third one, fourth one. Look at the fourth seed, and that seeds of love. Let's look at this verse together. Matthew chapter 10. Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water... In the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he should by no means lose his reward. You know, seeds of love can be very small things that have a huge impact. You know, you'd be amazed how much just a simple encouraging word and a, and a, and a, and a kind uh, statement, uh, how far it can go. A little simple act of love. I, I watch Pastor Jim from time to time. I love it. It's, it's fun to see, and, and, and he loves doing it. But uh, from time to time, Pastor Jim, he'll run into some of the little kids in the church, you know, the little smalls running around in the foyer, and, 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 and he'll come up to them, and he'll pull out his wallet, and he'll take a dollar out of his wallet, and he'll give it to the little kid. Man, the look on those kids' faces, it's like, it's like Christmas came, right? I mean, it's a big, big deal, and it's a big deal for two reasons. One, they got a dollar. That's pretty big all by itself. But two, it's who they got the dollar from. Man, this came from my pastor. This, he's like a rock star to these kids. He's on the screens. He's on the TVs. This guy's famous. You know, you know, to a five-year-old, it's, oh, goodness, goodness. And so what's happened? He, he just made that kid's day with a dollar out of his wallet that took him 20 seconds to hand to him. But what was that? That was a, a seed of love that was sown that made a huge difference. I, I watched my, my, my wife and my daughter sow seeds of love this last week. We just got back from vacation. And uh, we were on the way to our vacation and we stopped at a place to get some lunch. And it had uh, connected with the restaurant. It had this little shop with stationery and, and journal. You know how girls like their journals to write in their little journals and stuff. So Lauren likes that kind of stuff. Paula likes that kind of stuff. So Lauren goes in the little journal shop and she found a really nice, it was like a whole set of journals. It was really nice. And she wanted to do, so she made an investment in it. She bought it. She went, she checked out. 
And the girl that checked, checked her out there was about the same age as her. And she just made a little passing comment as she was checking out. She goes, oh, I, I like that one. And she said, I, I, I've wanted that one myself. And just, you know, idle chatter, you know, as, as she's checking out. So Lauren comes back to the table, sits down to eat, and, and she's, she's very quiet. And that's unusual for my daughter, if you know my daughter. <laughs> so she's just kind of sitting there. She's real quiet. And she goes, she goes, I really feel like the Lord wants me to give that journal or those journals to the girl. And so she did. She got up and she went and she, she just gave it to the girl. She just told her God loves her and just wanted to bless her. And I'm telling you, it made that little girl's day. And I mean, just over and over again, for the next half hour we were there or so, even her fellow waitress came over and she's going, you have no idea what a difference that made in, in her life. She's almost cried three times back there just because you gave that to her. We got to love on her when we were leaving and just let her know, you know, just how much God loves her. But what was that? It was a seed of love. When we were out walking around, we went to Washington, D.C. for the, the holidays to meet up with our son. But, uh, um, you know, we were walking around, and, and Paula had a, little, a blanket with her that, that she had taken. We did the, the fireworks there in the mall, you know, at the Capitol and stuff. It was, it was just pretty cool. But uh, anyway, we were walking by, and there was this homeless lady that was laying on the ground, just sleeping on the ground. Had a little bit of stuff, you know, kind of behind her, and she was out cold asleep. So Paula just, you know, at the, at the nudging of the Lord, took, took that blanket and, and walked up and just, just laid it beside her there where she laid and, and just, just left it there for her. What happened after that? I don't know. Somebody else may have come and grabbed it. She may have woken up and saw it and went, oh man, this is great. She may have looked at it and went, that's orange. It's ugly. I don't like UT. You know, I don't know how she responded, but see, none of that matters. Because none of that was the point. The point was, Paula was doing an act of obedience to the Lord, an act of love, sowing and planting a seed. You, you see what I'm saying? And so, what are we doing? Put them all up on the board there together, if you would. Our lives, our Christian growth, our maturity, it's made up of seeds that produce a tremendous harvest. Seeds of character, seeds of faithfulness, seeds of obedience, seeds of love. And so don't underestimate the power of small because all those smalls piled up together produce something pretty big and pretty amazing. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. I pray that you show us the smalls that you want us to walk out this week and help us to recognize the value and the significance and the size of those smalls. Help us never belittle the little, but be so thankful for the building blocks of growth that you provide for us to help us get to where you want us to go. And Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name.